0: Welcome back to the Glory Days podcast for part B of Korowa 1968, from last to first. Before we start, a big thank you to our episode sponsors, Korowa Rutherglen Football and Netball Club Past Players Committee, Federation Council and the Australian Hotel, who were in 1968 and still are today wonderful sponsors of the Football and Netball Club. Okay, let's pick it up at round 18, the final round of the 1968 home and away season, with Corowa needing to defeat Wangaratta by around six goals to play finals under the coaching of 1967 Richmond Premiership captain Fred Swift. Righto, Robbie, let it rip.
1: D-Day had arrived at John Ford Oval with the final round clash between Korowa and Wangaratta set to finally decide who will take out the fourth and final place in the 1968 Ovens and Murray Finals. Korowa were at full strength for the clash and after a solid week in the training track they approached the game with a finals-like mentality in front of a massive crowd that paid $708 at the gate. A significant change in the side, however, was implemented after selectors Bill Wiverton, Pat Fitzgerald and Frank McNamara suggested to coach Fred Swift he should move back to defence after having played mostly up forward for the year. Swift, who was fullback for Richmond and Victoria, was also fullback for the Owens-Murray rep side and the discussion was on the table. Peter Chisnell explains how it panned out.
2: Uh, a bloke like Swifty, I mean, you'd have to be very careful where he came from, I mean, yeah, you know, the most successful team in the competition prior to that was Richmond, mm. and he's just played the Premiership team. He come, Premiership player comes up here. People tend to be a little bit reluctant to say anything to them and approach them, but in the case of uh, if you're in Swifty's position, uh, you would listen to people like Bartlett and that because Jack Bartlett was you know a special boat. And anyway, the advice was, and Swifty spoke to John Livingston about it later on, he said, they were that strong about it. He said, well, because they were discussing the team then, and he said to John Livingston, uh, it's, it's not real good on the resume, he said, when they start telling you that, uh, <laughs> that you might be the one that's going to get dropped. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so so he, said, uh, he said, so I went to set our back. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I loved about him then was that he was this special bloke. But then
1: what I love about him now is he was prepared to put the team in front of him. In a result that stunned the league, Corowa kicked the highest score of the season as they annihilated a hopelessly out of depth Wangaratta by 92 points and qualified for finals for the first time in four years. So big was the margin, by the end of the game, Korowa had leapt back into the final four and had finished 13.4% ahead of the Magpies a percentage turnaround of almost 16. Kevin Wiverton returned to form with eight goals, while Jack Clancy destroyed the Wangarwatta defence in a best on ground performance. While all top three teams, Wodonga, Myrtleford and North albury won its finals matches, it was the performance of the Spiders that had the league talking as Wangarwatta were considered a serious challenge to Wodonga. Before the finals attention reached its peak, the league awards were conducted on the Monday following the final round. The Morris medal vote count was televised live on AMV4 Aubrey and the winner was Benalla coach John Waddington with 16 votes. Jeff Hempel from Wangaratta was runner-up with 14 votes, a vote ahead of Ray Thomas Aubrey and Corey young gun Peter Chisnell. Stan Sargent from North Aubrey took out the Hanrahan Trophy as the leading goal kicker with 72 goals. Eddie Rogalski from Wodonga was second with 63 while Corroer's Kevin Wiverton finished third on 53. The media coverage of the league was amazing with a dedicated Ovens and Murray panel broadcast every Sunday afternoon during the season on AMV4. Both 1494 from Aubrey and 3&E from Wangaratta would broadcast home and away matches with both stations combining in finals for the broadcast of all matches. Local newspapers in Myrtleford, Benalla, Wangaratta Corowa and the Border Mail in Aubrey-Wodonga gave unprecedented coverage to all matches. Finals fever was at an absolute peak in Corowa, with the town right behind the team. Ollie Phipps explains it was an exciting time indeed.
3: Well it was, after the after he won, beat Wang in the, in the last game of the season, the, everything happened then, you'd, and wise, it was just like a home and away game, there was people everywhere, you know, and it's just I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, I probably never ever will, but, but just in a country, football, people everywhere, and everywhere in the town, it was just, that's all they talked, was football, 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 you know, and there was colours up then. As soon as we started winning the first semi, well it got, got bigger and bigger bigger of course, but, and I said it at the last, in the grand final, I didn't think... If we hadn't won, we weren't going to come home because I thought we would have got lynched. But anyway, we were lucky enough to get out of it, yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah, that's the way the feeling was, yeah. yeah.
1: And what a great reception it was when you got home.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you don't sort of, i would never seen so many people in the main street of Cairo. I just, it, I don't think I've ever seen since. Just people everywhere. I, I, Every person in Cairo must have been there, you know. Like, oh, God, mighty. Unbelievable. Listen, we were just a of a that We got presented to the president or mayor, whatever he was, and he presented all the players. And then we just drove, ran up the street and went back and then went back to the down footy rooms. That was it. Yeah. So, yeah, they just just arrived. They were just. The mood was unbelievable. I, I don't think you'll ever see it again. There Yeah.
1: All roads led to the Grove Oval in Yarrawonga for the first semi-final between North Aubrey and Korowa on September the 14th, with a healthy crowd of over 5,000 in attendance on a picture-perfect spring day. North Aubrey with Stan Sargent on fire up forward got away to a flyer. Sargent booted four goals after starting on Fred Swift. The game took a bad turn for Korowa when Swift limped off with a thigh injury. After leading by 23 points at quarter time, North Aubrey extended its lead to 40 points early in the second term with three quick goals. Things were looking bleak for the Spiders until a few positional changes got them back into the game and three late goals got the margin back to 22 points at half-time. Fred Swift's half-time speech was reported in the Monday edition of the Border Mail as one of the most inspirational heard for a long time. Freddie Longmire commented about the injuries and the changes made. Well, Swifty was
4: having a job trying to retain Stan Sargent. North Aubrey always looked for Stan at full forward, and why wouldn't you? A magnificent full forward. And so at quarter time, um, the three Coral Selectors, um, they were Bill Witherden, Frank McNamara, and Pat Fitzgerald. And they actually pulled rank over the coach and they changed John Hoyles onto Stan. And I don't think Stan got another goal after that. And so North had no other option hardly to score and uh, the Corowa players sensed that and uh, and so went on to, uh, and with it and won the game.
1: Fred Longmire, Peter Chisnell, Lindsay Jacobs, Graham Fraser and Jack Clancy ran right in the third quarter as Corowa turned on a sensational brand of finals football to kick seven goals to one and lead by 13 points at the final change. They hit the lead at the 20 minute mark of the third quarter for the first time in the match as its large band of supporters were screaming their lungs out as the Red and Blacks took complete control. They never relented in a four-goal-to-two final term as the Spiders finished in front final siren 15-10-100 to North Aubrey 11-13-79 to win its first finals match since 1963 and a place in the preliminary final in a fortnight. Fred Longmire finished with 31 possessions in a brilliant display. John Hoyles was magnificent when moved to centre-half back to replace the injured Swift. Up forward, Kevin Wiverton and Dennis Hutton, who turned 20 on the day, both kicked four goals while Lindsay Jacob bobbed up with three goals. Billy Phipps also made his presence felt in many physical clashes. The week off ahead of the preliminary final was a welcome relief to give Swift and on baller Jack Clancy time to get over their respective thigh and ankle injuries. Cora had also been walking a finals tightrope over the last three months, and this was their first week off since early July. The second semi-final between Wodonga and Myrtleford was played at Benalla, with both sides also playing in the reserves. A very inaccurate Wodonga, nine goals 20, finished stronger to beat Myrtleford nine goals eight after the scores were level at three-quarter time in a very physical encounter. The Saints' day got worse when Bob Crisp was injured and ruled out for the following week. The Saints' physical approach backfired as they lost the free-kick count 39 to 12. So Wodonga, the defending premiers, went straight into the grand final and with it, a red-hot favourite tag to make it back-to-back flags, whoever the opponent may be. The preliminary final clash between Myrtleford and Corowa would be a repeat of the 1963 encounter when Corowa, led by the legendary Frank Tuck, prevailed by seven points. Corowa had won four previous preliminary finals and lost six while Myrtleford had not won a prelim final. They lost the 1967 preliminary final by seven points to Wangarata Rovers after losing in 1963 and 1964. A massive crowd of over 7,500 were at the Albury Sports Ground in perfect spring conditions, with both sides boasting the strongest support in the league. Coral Utility George Tobias said the crowd on arrival at ground gave them a massive boost as they filed out of the bus and into the visitors' change rooms under the grandstand.
5: Our supporters were so pumped up. They had given us so much belief and high expectations in our ability to reach the light at the end of the tunnel. We we gave them the win result they came for, Robbie. Yes, we could not have achieved that without their fantastic support. Mm. And going on before the game, the youngest player, like Bert Tate, was only 17 years old, and I was the second youngest. And the older giants of our side, uh, mentioning like the likes of uh, big Johnny Lane, Johnny Hoyles and big Ike Isley telling me, George, just think we are one game away from being in the grand final. Go very hard at the ball and we will protect and there is one person out there also on the ground that will protect you as well. And that is the man in white.
1: The match itself was a game of contrasting fortunes with the first half and the second quarter some of the worst football seen all year as both sides half-back lines dominated a very scrappy affair. Myrtleford wasted conversion opportunities in the first quarter with the Breeze, kicking three goals six to Corowa two goals three. They did suffer a massive blow when inspirational coach Martin Cross left the field with a serious knee injury after five minutes and never returned. The second quarter was ugly throughout, with no team kicking a goal, with Corora adding five behinds and the Saints three, for Myrtleford to lead at halftime by seven points. At halftime, Corora made several positional changes, with one more than any changing the course of the game. Ollie Phipps explains.
3: Brother Bill, he was was playing on the half-forward flank and Peter Chisel was playing in the centre. And there was a player in the centre called Dale Walker, he was a gun too, yeah, a very good player. He was playing for Myrtleford and he was caught in a lot of trouble. He was good play; he just one of them good players. He was, he was causing big trouble, you know. So they made the move, and, and what happened was that they put Chizzy back in on the flank, and they run three Rovers, and, and it worked because Myrtleford were a big side, and. I think what beat, what beat them at the finish was if we run them up their legs, they couldn't handle little fellas. There were just t- too many little fellas running on the forward line, they couldn't handle them, and that, that was the biggest move. It just won the game for us, as simple as that. Hold Hold in. Hold in.
1: Hold in. Whilst the changes didn't have an immediate effect, the quality of football skyrocketed in the third quarter as both sides went all out attack, with Myrtleford looking set to take the game away from the Spiders. When Alan Herbel snapped the Saints fifth goal of the quarter at the 12 minute mark, he put them 20 points in front with the aid of a breeze. This however was the last goal they kicked as Coroa made the move of Billy Phipps into the middle to contain Dale Walker and Peter Chisnell moved to half forward where he starred. Fred Swift, George Tobias and Jeff McLean defended magnificently as the Spiders running game went to a new level with Fred Longmire, Jack Clancy and Lindsay Jacob everywhere. The Spiders booted the final three goals of the quarter to draw level at the last change. In a brilliant quarter of football, Corowa kicked six goals and the Saints five to set up a grandstand finish. Goals by Jack Clancy, left foot snap and Kev Riverton, a 55 metre bomb in this period, were as good as any all year as the Spider Army found voice. Corowa dominated play but inaccuracy kept the desperate Saints in the contest as no goals were kicked in the first 15 minutes of the final quarter. The dam wall finally broke with Corowa landing three late goals to boot three goals eight for the quarter to Myrtleford just two behinds and win 19 1985 to 8-13.61 to hand Myrtleford its fourth preliminary final loss in the last six years. Just like the previous week, Myrtleford were level at the last change. But similar to the match at Benalla, where they scored just one point, they added just two to bow out of finals contention. The margin could have been larger with Freddie Longmire kicking two goals five and Lindsay Jacob one goal six. Longmire, with 26 possessions, was a game best on ground, despite leaving the field late with an ankle injury. Longmire explains how he managed to get the ankle right for the grand final the following week.
4: You wouldn't believe it. With, with about five minutes to go, I rolled my ankle and I uh, hobbled off. And I thought, "Geez, anyway, what's going to happen here?" Anyway, on Sunday morning, I went to see John Duff, our head trainer, at his house. And he told me to get to Shepparton to see a bloke by the name of Harry Britton. He was a renowned um, bone cruncher, physio, and a very good and very good with ligaments around knees and ankles. I saw him on the Sunday night and also the following Tuesday night after training. Obviously, I never trained. He told me to wrap my ankle with brown paper soaked in vinegar and water and use a ray lamp to dry it out. Consequently, I passed the test at training on Thursday night to be playing the grand final.
1: Swift with 10 marks and former coach John Hoyles were magnificent leaders as the Spider Army supporters stormed the field and change rooms post-siren as they contemplated a huge challenge next Saturday against league powerhouse Wodonga. Bert Tate said it was an eerie, but exciting time in the rooms after the game. I remember going into the rooms after the game
6: and, and just, um, it was very, it was quiet. It was surreal. We, uh, not only did we didn't realise, I don't think we understood the enormity of it that we're in the, the, the grand final to take on the might of the mighty Bulldogs. That the, the town gained momentum uh, and it drove the football club. And I can vividly recall that our last training night was on the Thursday night prior to the, the, the grand final, was on Saturdays in those days. And, and we were down at the football oval, trained on a Thursday night, and, and I remember the hell of a crowd there, and we had a, an old-fashioned sausage sizzle. And, and you know, the players were, um, you know, the team was announced, the team was picked and announced and presented. And I remember the main street of Korowa, it was every shop in those days was decked out in uh, red and black streamers, balloons, and, you know, there was, it was the town was just, there's only one thing that happened in that town that weekend, that was Coroa playing
1: in a grand final at Alhams of Murray and hope like hell we won it. The grand final venue was the Wangaratta Rovers City Oval as grand final fever swept the Murray River town of Corowa, with plenty happening prior to the game. In an unusual pre-game move, Fred Swift arranged for the side to attend a church service on the Friday night before the grand final. The local Methodist minister, the Reverend Tony Winter, who played in the twos for Corora, ironically wearing the devil's number 13, would you believe it? Well, he and Swift ordered all players to be in attendance. Whilst it was met with some raised eyebrows, the players of all denominations and beliefs got on board with 100% attendance. The Reverend Winter himself explains the occasion on how he was recruited to the club, while Peter Chisnell said he got a lot out of it.
7: Well, Freddie Swift and I talked about it. Uh, so. I wanted, I wanted to understand the community which I'd become part when I moved to Koroa. And this community was was very, very committed to community life. There were so many sports clubs. Fred and I sat down together one day in Bratt's Furniture Store where Fred worked during the week. And we decided to have a service in the church to invite God to bless the Spiders Football Club. and And we arranged it so that at the beginning of the service at 7.30 that night, a procession of team members would march into the church with three players uh, carrying the symbols of the team. One carried a footy, uh, one carried a, a spider's footy jumper, and one carried a pair of footy boots. And these symbols of the game were, were placed symbolically on the communion table at the front. And I guess that's the first time a pair of boots have been placed on a communion table, <laughs> but why not? You know, they represented part of what it meant to play footy. I had a great deal of respect for Freddie Swift when um, we sat down and talked. To, when I started to train with the team, you know, he 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 always talked about us playing champagne football. Now, I was a Methodist and I didn't drink, so champagne football was quite different. And you know, he never swore or used bad language when he was coaching the team.
2: In reality, you know, there was probably a lot of the boys. Not all of them were mixed. I mean, <laughs> there was a few of us in there that, you know, uh, uh, were that frequented and, and rubbed shoulders with Tony. And it really wasn't about. Uh, he wasn't going to preach the gospel to you, or he wasn't going to uh, rain down thunder on us, or anything like that. But what he reminded us of was what it was like to be in a community and what place we played in that community. And here we are all, we were all coming together. It was all that sort of thing. You know, I walked out there, I'm pretty <laughs> fired up. Because he, he you know, he was this priest and he was giving this, and it was not a fire and brimstone thing as such, but it was very intense. And it was about us. It made me think, um, to me, I thought I'd made the right decision to
1: come home. Following the church visit, the players all attended a team dinner at the Australian Hotel, which was the hub of the football club's social activities during the season. That same evening at the hotel, a phone call from a keen and confident Wodonga punter was taken by barman Jack Dowd. Fred Longmire takes up the story.
4: The phone rang, it rang, and Jack says, uh, hello. And a voice says, uh, anyone at Coroa game and the back? The Cora Spiders tomorrow to win the grand final against Wodonga. So <clears throat> Jack, he sings out to the patrons in the bar Anyone want to back Cora tomorrow? There's a bloke quietly sitting at the end of the bar and he says, uh, Ask him how much money he's got. Jack, the barman, speaks into the phone and he says, uh, There's a bloke wants to know how much money you've got, mate. The voice replies, I've got a thousand bucks. Anyone good enough? He's got a thousand dollars, Body, meaning Bernie Bott, a transport operator, who was a great spiders benefactor. And so Boddy says, Tell him to go and see his bank manager. I'll have him for two thousand dollars. <laughs> and so the bet was said.
1: The Koroa Chamber of Commerce, as throughout the entire final series, advised business and shops to shut before 11.30am on Saturday morning to allow spectators time to travel to Wangaratta for the grand final. Most shops in Sanger Street were decorated in red and black, while vehicles travelling to the finals were also decked out in red and black. The most recognisable vehicle of all was the XP Ford Falcon that had a giant two metre square spider attached to the roof and a smaller spider on the bonnet. The larger spider's legs hung over the side windows and was only brought out in finals. Fred Swift, right throughout the finals, would take a team bus to games, stopping along the way for players to get out for a walk and a stretch before getting back on the bus closer to the venue. Swift also, when addressing players, would ensure that they had their backs to the supporters in the rooms so they would not be distracted by anyone when he was talking. So. All was set for the 1968 decider that would pit the defending Premier's Wodonga in its 500th game in the ovens of Murray League up against the 1967 Wooden Spooners Korowa who were attempting to become just the fourth team to win the flag from fourth position. Before the first bounce, Morris medal winner John Waddington and leading goal kicker Stan Sargent ran a lap of honour in front of the massive crowd of over 12,000 people.
8: Now we find uh, John Waddington, the 1968 winner of the Morris Medal, nearest defence, accompanied by Norman Hogan, the winner of the Cudden Award, the best player in the Reserve 18, and champion goal kicker of the league for the fourth occasion, Stan Sargent, completing their lap of honour here at the Wangaratta City Oval this afternoon, prior to the commencement of the 1968 Grand Final between Wodonga and Kowa. Wodonga has won the toss for the... uh, choice of ends in the 1968 Grand Final of the Evans and Murray League at the Wangaratta City Ogle this afternoon and will kick towards the city end. A noticeable change in the Coral lineup. Ike Isley is on the ball and young Robert Tate is positioned at centre half forward. Now umpire Dunjolly Jolly is calling for the all clear prior to bouncing the ball to get this great game underway. In a matter of seconds now, just for the commencement of the 1968 Grand Final of the Evans and Murray League. Umpire Jolly puts the ball into play, the big men fly and as far as he gets the tap down it goes it towards the power uh, into the ground uh, Longmire has his left foot to the ball, sends it right up towards full 4 towards Riddleton and Goyne, they both overrun the ball It's picked up off the ground by Gyarig back into the hands of Longmire and I think Longmire will be paid the first free-kick for push in the back and now it's John Hoyle John Hoyle's push in the back and he's about 45 yards out in front looks for the short lead into the pocket and it comes off where the mark has been taken there by Freddie Longmire, who is also about 45 yards out on an angle, halfway between forward pocket and half forward flank.
1: Wadonga won the toss and kicked with the advantage of a stiff breeze to the southern end. Although Corowood did not kick a goal and trailed by 26 points at quarter time, it was far from panic stations as the breeze was substantial and the Corowood defenders had, in fact, done a magnificent job. The game was back on even keel as Fred Langmyer and Jack Clancy ran right in the second term as the Spiders pounded the forward line resulting in a brilliant quarter of football that had them boot six goals to nothing to lead at half time by 13 points. The pre-game tactic of playing Isley in the ruck and Burt Tate as a decoy centre half forward on Wodonga ace centre half back Brian Gilchrist worked a treat in the second term. Burt Tate explained the plan. I was to play centre-half forward and
6: uh, I got to play centre-half forward in the second and fourth quarters and our idea was that Brian Gilchrist, you know, super player, one of the greats at Evans Murray, I was to play on him and to take him away from the play and lead away, lead away, lead away. And I remember talking to Brian Gilchrist many years later, I ran into him once and, uh, and he and we spoke about it. He said, oh, he said we never woke up to it. Yeah. We never woke up to it." He said, "Yeah, you kept leading away from where the ball was coming from." And um, I said, "Well, we had a plan there." Brian he said, "Yeah,
1: we woke up to it after it finished." And, finish. and um, yeah, that was uh, that was the way it went. The third term belonged to Wadonga, with Eddie Rogowski starring, kicking four goals in the term in a game tally of seven. The doggies added six goals six to regain the lead at three-quarter time by 11 points. A goal, courtesy of a free kick to Gary Williamson, incensed the of fans as the Grand Final was heating up.
8: But in goes John Lane, trying to pick the ball up, comes across the field, number 25 for Wodonga there, and Smedley gets his kick to it, and a great mark on the half-forward line to John O'Connell, Wodonga 8-10. Cora 7-8, halfway through the third quarter. This is still anyone's game. O'Connell's kick goes down towards the full forward. Hoyles and Williams have set themselves and Hoyles will be placed. a fantastic... It goes against Hoyles and there it is. Wanonga down to 9-10-64. Cora 7-8-50 and halfway through the third quarter. Eddie Rogalski has kicked seven goals. Gary Williamson one, McBone two for Corowa, Weatherman four, Longmire one, Clancy one and Jacob one.
1: However, in what turned out to be a game-turning effort, Corowa managed to kick free goals into the breeze to ensure Donga were kept in check. Graham Fraser, Billy Phipps and Longmire tackled and ran with the football as Corowa supporters were finding voice and sensing an upset. The last quarter started with the breeze subsiding and both sides pumped up by its supporters as they moved to their positions. The game was on a knife edge until a left foot snap by Lindsay Jacob sealed the game for Korowa with just minutes remaining.
8: Jacob's got the ball, hooks it around his left foot and it's close for a goal to Korowa. Korowa got left player! a real great player Watto and that is Jacob, I think it is his Third goal for the day, as Corra move along to 14-11, 85 to Wodonga, 11-16-82.
1: Wodonga would throw everything at Corra in the final minutes, but fell seven points short as the siren sounded to the delight of Corra players and supporters.
8: when an another... 12-16, 88. Cora 14-11, 95, and it's Cora's grand final for 1968. This is a great moment for Cora. This film is going back to Cora this evening, and to see these supporters going absolutely wild, it's a great thing, John. It is. 1932, 1968, 36 years, a great thing. And, well, it rags the richest story. It's a fantastic yeah. thing. Ladies and gentlemen... Let's clap him to a yeah. fantastic day. We now see Fred Swift being taken from the ground. It's one of the greatest things I think that's happened in the Athens and Murray for many years. The cowbell is sounding. The Richmond captain of 1967, the coach of Kiowa, premiers in the Athens and Murray League in 1968. The rags for riches story. One of the greatest achievements ever in country football, the major league of country football. Fred Swift. Captain of the AFL's premiership side in 67 and coach of the Major League Champion League in 1968.
1: The scenes that followed were what fairy tales are all about as the town celebrated long and hard as the season motto of last to first was completed. In a magnificent team effort, Fred Longmire completed a brilliant final series with 32 possessions. Graham Fraser was scintillating on a wing and was awarded best on ground. Jack Clancy and Lindy Jacob kicked three goals, while Kevin Wyvernham booted four. Fred Swift was a colossus at centre half-back, while John Hoyles, Ike Isley, Bill Phipps and Peter Chisnell were four-quarter performers. A quick stop-off at Tubby Portevin's Council Club Hotel in Wangaratta got the team in a good frame of mind ahead of the bus trip back to Wagunya, where the Premiership celebrations and parade commenced. Fred Longmire explains...
4: Swifty, he, he made us travel in a, as a group in, in Tubby's old ex-army bus to all the finals. So we never went in great comfort, It was, it, but we had to be together. And, and so when we got to Wagunya coming home, here was Bernie Bott ready for the players and officials to get up on the back of the flat deck semi-trailer with no side rails. <laughs> and so we drove over the John Ford Bridge and to Sanger Street and uh, to see it was said at that time, over 3,000 people lining lining the street, and we had to pull up uh, for Wally Nixon, the Shire President, to welcome us back as Ovens and Murray Premier. Louis Chrisfield, our club secretary, he called on Buddy to pull up outside the Memorial Hall for Wally to make a speech. And Buddy replied, pig's bummed, he said, we're going to do a lap of Sanger Street. <laughs> and So we dropped the V8 Dodge semi down a cog, and away we went up and past the Aussie Hotel, to do a U-turn at the uh, monument, which had what was called a silent cop in the middle of the road instead of a roundabout. and the back semi-trailer, wheels passed over as a silent cop, nearly tipping half the players off the trailer. (laughs) So anyway, Bernie then drove down Sanger Street and pulled up for the Shire President, uh, Councillor Nixon, to welcome us uh, as premiers of the ovens of Murray. Um, But it was further, you know, the celebrations, it was quite unusual, obviously, the... Um, the older fellows and that and the, and the officials, they had a good time. But as young players, you know, we didn't drink much beer. Um, in fact, a lot of us never drank beer. And and when we were tempted after the game, we probably tasted a bit of champagne and also down at the pub in Wangaratta. So it was a bit hard to, to know how to handle it. And, um, but anyway, uh, but when we wanted to think about how good we were, winning the grand final, um, we'd go to Jack Fisher's, what was called Jacks for Snacks Cafe down the bottom of Sanger Street. And, and we drink, you know, small bottles of Coca-Cola, probably eat a hamburger and and play the jukebox. And, you know, all of us thought, and certainly with Brill cream in our hair, we all thought we were look, looking cooler than Ponzi.
1: The local paper reported a crowd of 3,000 people in the main Corowa shopping centre to greet the Corowa football team when they returned home on Saturday night after winning the Ovens and Murray Premiership. The players were returning by bus got the first taste of Coral Peoples' Reaction to success long before they reached home. They were met at Wagunya by an open semi-trailer owned and driven by a jovial and delighted Bernie Bott. He was the man who cleaned up the Wodonga punter courtesy of the previous evening's bet. They rode on the back for the rest of the journey across the Murray River, over the bridge and into Sanger Street, accompanied by the Border District Band and crowds of cheering people They were driven slowly several times up and down the main street. The players were given a civic reception at the Corora Town Hall, arranged by Corora Shire President, Councillor Wally Nixon. Corora coach Fred Swift was given the honour of number one citizen until Monday morning. After the reception, the players, together with supporters and officials, went to the football club rooms at the John Ford Oval for celebrations which continued until daylight. Celebrations broke out again on Sunday morning when another massive crowd of well-wishers turning up at the ground. The celebrations continued all week ahead of presentation night and then the players and officials end of season trip to New Zealand with 31 making the trip across the Tasman. A couple of coral jumpers were hung from town landmarks and even a Wodonga jumper found a new home. Ollie Phipps explained the fun and games.
3: Funny story. All the thingies, I put a big bones jumper, putting number twenty four on the, on his aerial, and I thought, oh, you know, that was a big thing, and it stayed up there forever. <laughs> then the manager, the manager of the, of the flour mill, he was a supporter, of course, and oh yeah, yeah, he will pop up in the flour mill. Yeah, that'll be all right. The way she went there, we be up in the flour mill. <laughs> then, then there's always something got put up on the free press. It was, an, it was a statue there that you weren't supposed to go in here, of course, but. Anyway, eventually was, yeah, I didn't do it. <laughs> eventually, one went up there and nothing was said because in the town, all the policemen, they followed the football, see? We had, every time we played at home or when they were there, there'd be poor policemen there all dressed up, ready to go, and they, they, were, they were watching all the football and nothing was said about it.
1: So, the mission was completed with memories that have lasted to this day and will continue to be reflected upon in one of the greatest ever achievements in Ovens and Murray Football League history. From having to win its final home and away match to facing significant deficits in all three finals matches, the Corowa team of 1968 had something special about it and achieved what many thought were impossible. Remarkably, Corowa were outside the top four for nine of the 18 home and away rounds, spending from round three to round seven outside the top four. It was also a triumph for John Hoyles, who stayed on at the club after coaching the three previous years. He not only got a premiership, he won the 1968 club best and fairest. The 1968 premiership was the last that Korrawa won prior to it merging with Rubber Glen in the 1979 season. The Korrawa 1968 premiership side was, from the back line, Ollie Phipps, Neville Forge, John Lane. Halfbacks, Jeff McLean, Fred Swift, George Tobias. Centre line, Ken Eels, Peter Chisnell, Graham Fraser. Half forward line, Fred Longmire, Bert Tate, Billy Phipps. The forward line, Dennis Hutton, Kevin Wiverton, Jack Clancy. The Rucks, Ike Isley, John Hoyles, Lindsay Jacobs. 19th man, Robert Longmire. The 20th man, David McCook.
0: Well, there you have it. What a remarkable achievement from a genuine underdog. Sadly, some 15 years later, the club and the football world in general felt the sadness of the untimely death of its 1968 Premiership coach, Fred Swift. It rocked the Corowa community and the club as they had lost a hero far too early. Once again, a massive thank you to our episode sponsors, the Rather rutherglen Football and Netball Club Past Players Committee, Federation Council, and the mighty Australian Hotel who are still sponsoring and supporting football and netball in Corowa and Rutherglen. Also, a massive thank you to the members of the 1968 Corowa team and committee who made this podcast possible with their time and support. Their passion and pride was and still is amazing. Don't forget, if you want your magical or historical sporting moment brought back to life, get in touch with us at yoursportandmedia.com. For now, stay safe and catch you next time on the Glory Days podcast.